Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Welcome to another edition of Fire and Training. I'm your host, Douglas Klein, and I'm really excited to continue the series talking about tactical considerations and operations at resorts. And today's guest, I am just stoked about having her on the show. It's an esteemed colleague, a good friend, and a fire service icon to me. And I want to introduce to you as I call her, the real Britta Horn, and it's Chief Britta Horn. Uh, if you don't know who Britta is, she serves on the VCOS uh, component in IFC. She's uh, out in Colorado. She's you know in the resort areas and the mountains, but she has a whole lot of unique factors to go with what she does and where she's at. Uh, she is the fire chief at a department out there, it's a volunteer department, and it's Rock Creek Volunteer Fire Department. But better yet, one of the things I will tell you, and she says first and foremost, she is a ranch wife and a mother. She helps her husband, uh, Gary, who actually operates with his twin brother, a uh, ranch, over 500 cattle and calves. And she also makes it very clear, and I got to meet her daughter at uh, at an event here real recent uh, with that. Uh, it's just great to have, she's got two daughters actually. So it, it's just fun to be able to meet people's families. And I'm excited about having uh, Chief Horn on the show. So Britta, it's good to see you again. It's good to have you on the show. Good morning. Good morning, Chief. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it was great to see you on the, um, the expo floor and being able to connect because People don't know, we actually connect us on Twitter back and forth and everybody follows us and then we follow each other and we're always, you know, making sure we're putting out good motivational and leadership quotes and getting people to think about the job that they have at hand. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, I've been doing a series here for some time uh, from even last year at FDIC, we did a pre-conference on uh, resort fires and tactical considerations. And one of the things that came up during that class is there's so much more than just fire related to this. So that's the reason I, I started this series to actually go through the different types of resorts. And we're talking about mountainous ski style resorts where you're at. And of course, there's also all these other resorts that are there with cabins and campgrounds and everything that you can think of. So this is kind of a good pinnacle time period to bring somebody in that deals with this stuff on a, on a regular basis. Also, in some of the rural areas that we deal with that have these large resorts that we found out uh, at, F, at FDIC last year when we we're doing the pre-con is it's volunteer departments that are responding to this without lots of manpower, um, these the huge resorts, and then we're challenged so often with with weather conditions. And of course, we're facing Hurricane Idalia right now. You guys face all the snowstorms and the winter weather that come there. But that's also what draws these people to the resorts. So let's dive into this and, and talk about the resorts. So what I want you to do is kind of give a good brief 
background on what your department's like, where it sits, and what type of resorts you actually have in your response district or where you respond to. Well, thank you very much. Happy to. So like you said, we're a volunteer, but we're a 501c3 nonprofit volunteer fire department. So we don't get any tax money from anybody. And we're halfway between what we call God's country, halfway between Steamboat Springs and Vail. It's the only paved road to get to two of them if you're doing it from I-70 to get up to Steamboat. So as much as we get resort, we have resort community, the people that go to those resorts to work every day. So it's, uh, we started just after 9-11. Um, we realized our community got together and realized we didn't have a fire department. So we're coming up here on 22 years of being in service. And it's the most northern part of Eagle County. It's 244 square miles. We definitely have more cows than people. But it has a unique piece about it because we don't have cell service. And we still don't have cell service. But uh, we can talk about that, unpack that a little bit later. Things are changing and our, and our model is changing how we respond now. So our community just takes care of a lot of the outlying pieces. So to get to a phone, our, our little communities have do have a phone um, in their community to call, you know, like the one with the cord on it, <laughs> if there really is emergency. So a lot of people take care of their own emergencies before they call us. So we don't get, you know, flu-like symptoms or hangnail kind of calls. We get the serious big calls. And like you said, they're fires, wildland fires, uh, semi-trucks loaded, you know, coming down, you know, sitting on their brakes all the way down the hill, and they uh, start start fires that way. And, and a lot of other types of responses. We also have the Colorado River comes through our community. The, the train tracks come through. Amtrak comes through twice a day. You know, right, um, a lot of freight comes through our, our community. A lot of coal still comes through our community. There's two lines that, that, that go around our, our area of 244 square miles. So um, we don't stay busy, but when we're busy, they're big calls. Well, one of the things that... Um that came out in the conversations is we were talking about the resorts themselves and Chris Nam, you know, another good friend, the steam colleague, we've, we've had multiple conversations and we've talked about building construction. We've talked about, you know, responses to the actual resorts, but in, in our conversation, one of the things that really stuck out to me was all the ancillary type stuff that you have to respond to that are associated to the resorts, which are, actually resort components that you have to talk about. So uh, exactly what resorts do you have that are in your jurisdiction? So like you said, the resorts are more campgrounds, people bringing their RVs, people bringing all their recreational vehicles and their trailers and those equipment. So, you know, maybe somebody will know down on, you know, we don't, we have McCoy Road and old McCoy Road. There's a church and it's a, you know, a, a rock built building, one floor. We know the roof line. We know how to handle it. And we know how to, you know, we have it mitigated for us to put the fire out in that area. But then when you have people bringing in their RVs and then they have a fire on a road that we didn't even know that, that building, that resort, that, that campground that they brought, what they brought in, we don't know what we're rolling in on. And you're, and when, as I was saying, all these different pieces, we don't have hydrants. You know, there's, there's the, we have all out of water, you know, ponds and drinking uh, um, uh, for, for cattle. We have the, you know, rivers, we have creeks, all that, but we have to draft for our water. And only a few of the houses that were built um, after 2000 actually have like we call dry hydrants. So we can tap into the dry hydrants on personal property, but you got to also remember there's one other piece that we don't unpack a lot 
is that it's the responsibility of the homeowner of that dry hydrant that they keep it, you know, free of debris, free of brush, you know, that it's not being hit by all the snow, that it's not being hit by all the sun. And a lot of times you go to that PVC dry hydrant and it tends to be cracked or are, are not being able to be useful. So we end up going to the pond anyway and just, just, just drafting out of it. So our, we even have tents. A lot of people have like a lot of these um, Airbnbs with these glamping tents. So we have those on properties. We have a lot of yurts on properties. We have a lot of cabins. I was just up in the mountains over the weekend checking cattle and there's a lot of cabins up there. And the only way you can get to them are, you know, is, you know, a dirt road, just a two, 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 uh, two, two, I don't want to say two tire road, you know, to get to it. And you better have four wheel drive because you're going to go up and you're going to go down. And after all this rain we've had, the rocks are unbelievable. Everything's been pushed away and washed away. And it's just rocky, slow uphill to get to it. And I did actually, you know, see by a cabin there, there was a lightning strike way up there about 10,000 feet. Nobody knew about it. It put itself out, I guess, with the rain because the, tr the tree is totally had been burned over, leaned over, and the fire went out on its own. Well, again, most people don't think about all the other um, issues or problems, so to speak, that come with resorts or being in resort areas. And, you know, one of the reasons to think about this is all the traffic, your access points, uh, the types of vehicles that come in and out of there. And, you know, you, you brought up a couple of things that, that go with that in resort areas. And especially in the western part of the United States, a lot of the ways in is by rail. And they do Amtraks and they have the stops there. And those those are part of what they call the excursions to go into these resort areas. And I'm one of these folks that would love to, like, take a cruise, you know, up the Alaskan coastline, you know, get up on the north end of Alaska and then ride a train all the way back through. I mean, that would just be, you know, one of my bucket list things I want to do in my lifetime. But where you live is not only a, a vast array of, of community that is you know, sparsely populated, except in these dense little areas that people start coming in because it's the mountains, it's where they want to be, it's around a lake, it's wrapped around the rivers. And, and part of what we think about, and one of the reasons when we began talking um, about you being on the show is that you have it all. You have the mountains that have resorts, you have cabins, you have places in, in the RV parks by rivers and by ponds and lakes and and then you go up into the mountains and you got big resorts at these ski resorts that you're going to be responding to you talked about the roadways that are there these are challenges and that, i don't think the people uh on on an average basis recognize some of the challenges that responders other than where they're at they don't see that in other words they're not out of their jurisdictions, but there's lots and lots of challenges. And one of the, the challenges that you're talking about is getting up there and you got basically what I will call a, a pig path that goes up <laughs> on a mountain or, you know, whatever it is. And it's just it's wide enough to be able to get a four-wheel drive vehicle. So that changes your apparatus style response. You're not taking a big class A pumper up through there. You're taking something else. And once you get up there, what little bit of water you take with you, probably about 100 to 250 gallons is all you got. 
Exactly. And then that's when you start to call in other resources. So we always, and we're really, you know, lined up right against BLM, um, Bureau of Land Management. Right above that is Forest Service. So then you have all these intricacies to calling in, making sure air, you know, Grand Junction Air is who we call to make sure to fly over, see what's going on. What other resources can they bring? You know, are we at already trying to do some, you know, some, just some dumps with a, a helicopter? Are we going to do some, some, you know, AMA and do some planes? Are we going to do um, even smoke jumpers? <clears throat> there was a couple years ago when um, a lightning strike and it went through all these trees on the very, very most eastern part of our district. You actually have to go into another county to get back to it. And it's called Piney. And, you know, you just sit there and it's a Sunday morning coming home from church and you're just looking at it and you put the map out on the on the hood of the, of the pickup and you're looking at it and you're going, yep, it's Forest Service. And then, you know, within hours, they're already dropping smoke jumpers in there because it's just, you know, crowning and going from from tree to pine to pine. It's so dry. And then the duff is so deep in there. You know, there's no way to get up to it. You have to bring it. You have to bring it in from the air to get to it. You know, and that's another unique challenge when you, you move from like the coastlines or the flatlands or, or you know, the Midwestern plains and you move into the mountains and you move into those areas like, like you're in, um, our resorts, the challenges and some of the operations are not just structural responses, but the structures and the resorts are threatened by wildland urban interface, which is a huge problem when we've heard, heard the United States Fire Administrator talking about the wildfire problems that we have in the wildland urban interface. So, you know, I made a mistake. This has probably been about 15 years ago. I was speaking out on the West Coast and I said something about a tanker, you know, running a tanker to a, a structure fire. And the guy looked at me kind of funny and says, well, I've never thought about it, but if you got a big hole in the roof, if you actually did an airdrop, it would work. Well, <laughs> lack of better terms, we call them tankers here, and they're actually tenders, and a tanker is an airdrop. But I, I never thought about that. But in some of the cases right. where you're at, especially even in the rural areas to where these people are taking RVs or even these these yurts and these, these pop-up type tent cabins uh, that they have, and, and they can – get those in on four wheelers and, you know, ATVs, those type of vehicles. And that's a lot of what the resort is and that's how they set them up. So in, in reality, you're, you're fighting of the fire that could, you know, result from whatever the cause is, even in, in right. some of your campers or RVs may be that style of a drop. And I kind of chuckled at that through the years. And then just in some conversations and looking and diving into this topic, it's like, you know, I never thought about it, but that's realism. That's realism for you. What well, is it realism for us is that we don't know who's camping where. I mean, certainly after all the years I've been here, I know all the good hunting spots and I know when everybody's coming. And, and you know, now we're starting to look at, I had to go download the, the hunt. You know, we're starting on um, archery season right now. So I had to look at the weekends and see when everybody's going to come because you're going to start seeing this mass amount of equipment coming up, RVs, and like I said, everybody coming up to hunt and camp. And, you know, it, it, it quadruples our community, you know, especially during like you talk about resort. We have a lot of these um, on the river kind of um, weekend. You know, everyone wants to raft and be on the, you know, paddleboard on the Colorado River. Well, they start having these things called music festivals 
And so then all of a sudden, you know, you're going dry, you know, if it doesn't fit into the special permit use of the county to have a special permit, you know, they fit right under their numbers, whatever numbers they are, 500, 1,000 people. But you still have 5,000 to 500 to 1,000 people just, you know, congregate in this one little area. And it's 10 after 10 after 10 after 10. And they still have to have, they have their festival and they put up a band and they put up music and a stand and a stage. And it's just, it's incredible to see the, this, this huge volume of people coming into our community. And not all the time we have calls there, but we also have medical calls there. And if they do have to go through a permit process, the fire department has to go do a walkthrough with everybody before the event, Wednesday or Thursday, find the hell of, you know, spot is going to be if in case we do have a big emergency, not only for fire, but for medical. So we can land a helicopter so we can get somebody in there or take care of pieces that we need to take care of. And, it, and a lot of things can happen in those situations because everybody's, you know, camping, everybody's cooking, everybody's used to doing campfires. It's just, it's a unique thing. And it's just, just hard for a weekend and then the Sunday afternoon, they all leave and we go back to normal. You know, I guess I've gotten a little spoiled and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, we're doing all this prep work. We're planning for a day that's coming in here. Uh, it's probably going to be a tropical storm or a major rain event for us by the time it gets to us. But, you know, I'm thinking about all the staff that I have and we have a huge staff and organization. And as you were sitting there, it just kind of hit me is like, you're doing all this work and you're a volunteer organization and that's a challenge. And that's what a lot of people I don't mm -hmm. think realize is the challenges that go into a rural America departments, you know, that are very small combination or all volunteer that have to actually deal with these type of resource fires. And you brought out a, a couple of things that are really unique is you get somebody that's injured on the water. You got to get mm -hmm. to them. Now you're talking about boat operations. Now you're talking about, you know, getting into areas and, and, and working with them. You're talking about EMS. And, and, I, and I guarantee you've got, you know, 50 or 60 ambulances that are just running all over that county, right? Uh, most, likely, oh, yeah. most likely there's probably, what, maybe three or four in their volunteer services. Well, we're very, very fortunate in Eagle County with I-70, which is, you know, 20 miles away. I can't fold the map and make them any closer, but they are on I-70. So, you know, Vale um, and Eagle and uh, Gypsum and, and um, I would have, yeah, all the Eagle River, which is Edwards and Avon, they all have ambulance service there, but it takes a while for them to come, come up here. So it takes a while, but let alone good weather, let alone bad weather. Same with mutual aid and the other fire trucks that come. They have to still come over a mountain just to get to us. So they're not coming fast downhill if it's slick and slot, you know, you know, icy coming down in the middle of the night in the winter. So even on a good day, it still takes them 40 minutes to get here. So we're responding first. And so we're always there the first. And a lot of times they don't know the area enough. A lot of the crews change so much and they're so different on different shifts that we have to, you know, lay out breadcrumbs. We have to put cones out and stop and put cones like turn at the cone and then we'll be at the next cone. And then we go in, you know, because it's like you said, their house is way in, in the trees. So it takes us more to do that. And we also respond from home. I'm right now in my office. I'm not responding from the, from where the trucks are. And we still want to roll in six minutes, which is the, you know, NFPA get, you know, volunteer fire department. So I still have to get equipment together, get ourselves out the door, you know, and you know, it goes all the way down to tying up the dog so we can leave because he'll come with us. <laughs> and, 
and then get to the call and get to the truck and make sure Sue's coming, who's going, what, which way we're going and where we're going on that. And what I, what I wanted to unpack about that was this last call we had. Now phones, these iPhones, these, these cell phones, we don't need a tower. The newer phones have this low band 911 in it. So people were able to text to Vail Communications and text their call. And we already last year had a couple of rollovers and people crashes on the highway during snowstorms. And we were able to get to them because they were able to text while they were in their vehicle. This last call a couple of weeks, about a week ago, all we got was the OnStar uh, push notification of a crash at a lat and a long. That's it. That's all we got. So now we have to have a procedure where we can't take, there's no cell service with us. There's cell service right here in my house because of the internet. I have to go in, go to a map, go find the lat long, take some pictures of it so we can go to the call. We just extended our time on our response time to get to that call, whether, it's, like I said, it's a crash, it's a medical, it's a fire. The advantage of the fire is we live up on the higher above looking down at the community so I can usually see where the fire is in my backyard, in my front yard. I can usually see where the smoke is. Well, you know, that's another challenge that people don't even think about is I can, uh, you know, growing up in West Virginia, and I remember not even being able to talk sometimes on the radio to anybody, much less, you know, the time period that I grew up, there was no cell phone service at all. In fact, cell phones weren't even created then, um, but we're spoiled. And I say that in, you know, a generic concept is, you know, for me, I've got all these resources at my fingertips. I can look at apps. I can look at this. I got GIS. I got GIS layering. I got all this stuff. And then here you are laying out a map, taking a picture of it, you know, plotting lat longs to be able to get there. I mean, that takes us back. And, and these are the challenges that people don't realize that exist at some resorts. Uh, everybody thinks about a resort is they got all these amenities that they have. Well, they may have physical amenities. They don't have all the other amenities that go with that. And that's a huge, huge challenge that, you know, individuals need to know. And I know one of the things that I've, I've seen pop up through the years is in that general area, it will be like fire chief's jobs or other jobs. Eagle River is one of them that I've seen popped up. And I've heard friends of mine say, oh, man, that'd be a great place to live. And I'm like, yeah, man, that'd be a great place to live. That's a resort. And now I sit here and talk mm -hmm. to you going, uh, maybe not so much. <laughs> but you don't have all the things that you think you have. And again, you know, for, for challenges. And the biggest thing for you is how much snow do you get? Um, so this area is very unique. So we get a lot of snow comes down from Steamboat. But there seems to be a town a little bit north of us in the next county called Deponis. And it kind of the, the weather takes it straight and it takes a left and goes to Vail. So, you know, one of the things that my family has always talked about when they got this um, this ranch here in 1964 is they called it the banana belt. So we get snow, but it gets it melts a lot. It doesn't stay cold. We're a little bit in a warmer climb or like a, like a, a high desert area. So but this last year we all got snow. Don't get me wrong. I shoveled way more than I ever have. So but we still get snow. But then, like you said, you everybody that comes up here to recreate, to snowmobile, to snowshoe. Like I said, getting into hunting season, you know, fingers crossed, no one's going to shoot each other because, you know, we usually end up on a call and we have to just dig in and get in there to get to somebody because there was an accidental shooting of, of their of their hunting party. 
And it's just, it takes so much more pieces to get there. But people love to come out here, Chief, because there's no cell service. It's like, it's a draw in a sense too. So then when um, back in COVID, we had our governor saying, you know, don't, you know, go to the mountains. You know, everybody's got locked down and everybody's like, what are they going to do to spend their time while they're doing the whole lockdown? Don't go to the mountains. Don't go to the mountains. We, they all came to the mountains. You know, it was even hard to get a feed truck up a dirt road because there were so many camps and so many campers and so many RVs. They just all came up here. We just, again, multiplied our, our, our usual population and they came out here because there was no cell service. Didn't have any too many calls. Everybody kind of took care of themselves on that. So we were good about it, but <clears throat> excuse me. It just is interesting how everybody wants to come up here to recreate. They want to train. We have all these bike races that come through because we're high elevation and they love coming through here. And, and we're <clears throat> working on a ton of um, Olympians come through here, too, because this is high altitude for them to ride and ride fast on the one paved road between Steamboat and Vail. Really unique concepts for a different style of resort area and Again, part of the, the whole reason for this conversation is is if you if you've sat through the program that I've done, if you've listened to the previous uh, podcast that we've done, we've talked about you know being by the ocean. We've talked about you know being you know by lakes, you know remote areas, um, and and I kind of left the remote areas in in an open sense, and we talked about some of the resorts that are east coast. Uh, that that are remote, but we never got into the um, the mountain area or to the west coast in the mountains that make it drastically unique compared to the east coast. Plus, you know, just looking at every other aspects along rivers and lakes, and you know, we've had a lot of dynamic conversation back and forth about this topic. But you you're bringing out things that I don't think most of our listeners have even considered or thought about. And that's the uniqueness about where you live and what you bring to the table, you know, with that. Mm -hmm. So part of what I want to get people to think about is most folks. And and before we started probably talking about this, did you consider yourself a resort area? I mean, I think we do because it's a different type of resort. It's somebody that's looking for a different experience. It's not a very traditional, like you said, Steamboat Springs or Cordillera, or, you know, staying at the Ritz-Carlton in Beaver Creek. It's just, it's a different type of resort. It's people that want to recreate, want to be outside the whole time, want to sleep in a tent, want to go hunting afterwards. You know, it's just, you know, there's just so many more pieces to it. And it's still campground. It's still looking for that, like I said, that yurt and then that that um, music festival. There's still resort. There's still something different. Somebody's driving in because there's this event going on or the time of the year, like I said, when for hunting. So I truly believe we are resort and then we're between the resort. So it's a lot of times they'll start at the one resort and then come out here and do something for three, four days and then go back to the resort. So I think people enjoy it. They enjoy what we have to offer. It's great what we have to offer. I mean, there's more times than not that there was a, um, a company that would take people for, you know, to come out to the community. They would come out in a, in a van and they knew what time my husband was feeding cows with a team of horses on a sled and they would just crawl up our road and they'd all take pictures watching my husband feed cows. Well, That's a resort. You know, <laughs> the reason I, I had you answer that is because when I talk to a lot of people, 
uh, across the United States. And I asked him, I said, do you have a resort in your community? Like, oh, well, no, no. And I asked him, I said, you know, various places. I said, well, you have this river and you have these hotels that are along the river. And I said, they get very packed. Is that a resort? And then they stop and start thinking, do you have a campground? You know, the campgrounds now, when people build those campgrounds and some of the areas put a lot of amenities to it. Um, you know, I even think about a resort. One of the ones that comes to my mind is, is we go to Gatlinburg a lot. And then we go over to what's called Cades Cove. And it, it's a, a national park. It's in the Smoky Mountain area. And, and it's this long loop. But at that area, they have this large campground and it, it has a, a store. It has, you know, horseback riding. It has these things. Well, that's a resort. People don't think about that as a resort, but to get services there. And again, there's very, very little cell service in that area. If you can get anything at all, it's kind of the reason I like to go there too, is because there's no cell service. My, my phone won't ring, you know, without cutting it off legit. The phone was out of service. <laughs> but, you know, those are the, the things that are challenges. And you're talking about long response times. And, and we're, we're talking about not only just fires, but now you have medical emergencies. You have the wildland urban interface. You have the, the challenges of weather. Uh, there's lots and lots of calls. And then you throw in the concept of what happens when they're in a mountainous region like that. And we've got to do some type of technical rescue. So right. Your department right. has to be very well versed and very well trained in not only structural firefighting, but wildland firefighting, technical rescue, water rescue, rural water movements, all these things that are challenging that, you know, some departments only have to face one aspect versus, you know, the whole gamut. And basically the way that I see it, and one of the reasons I wanted you on here on the show with fire and training is so that you could talk about the gamut and show people just how challenging this is when you're in certain communities that are resort related. Well, absolutely. And this year we've had our challenges on the Colorado River. We've had a lot of calls and a lot of not successful calls. And due to the fact because the high water, fast water, cold water, and everybody thinks they've known, you know, the Colorado River for so many years, but it was just such a high snowpack and we just had so much water. I mean, I just even looked at a field um, on Sunday and it looked like it was June, July, you know, field. It was so green and already ready for a second cutting. And we just never see that at the end of August here going into Labor Day weekend. So we can only do as much as we can do. And I only I don't ever want a volunteer to go past their their expertise and past their training. And we get to a point. But when we start hearing like that, there's, like you know, um, some kind of, you know, rescue recovery that, that ends up being on the river, we're, we're very fortunate to call in a lot of mutual aid. So we can call in. So there's Vail Mountain Rescue does come from Vail, but they're just as volunteer as we are. They're all in their jobs. They're all working their day. They all have to, you know, drop everything, turn off the computer, drive to the station, go pick up all the equipment they need, and then have everybody start coming up. So that quick rescue ends up being from our department, from neighbors, uh, passerbys, a lot of people have stopped by and just say, what can we do to help? And then, you know, I have that, we have that additional uh, issue. When they get close to the river, I got to open up the back of the staff and start handing out PDF, PFD, PFDs because I don't want anybody, we don't need an incident within an incident because somebody's so hurried and wants to help and they don't, they don't even have the proper equipment on. 
A lot of times, like you said, with um, highway accidents, neighbors and people's passing by, I have to give out, you know, traffic vests so they can help me and give them the stop sign and the goes, you know, slow sign so we can mitigate the situation. But I got to also watch people and, and give them like, you know, the two minute you know, briefing of staying safe. <laughs> it's like it becomes very complex of who helps on the call too, not just the responders, but everybody else that also helps with it. And not only are those different type of pieces that are on, you know, for the call, for the, even when we had a, a, a semi-truck on fire uh, right in town when they were coming down the hill and their brakes were on fire and it was a flatbed of two by fours. And I just looked at this, I went, okay, we're going to just start handing out extinguishers to put this out fast. And all of a sudden neighbors were coming in cars and in their, in their gators and their uh, razors and handing us more fire extinguishers. Because it was better to stay on the scene and put that fire out with shovels and dirt also than it was to pass it to go to the station that has the engine to go, you know, it's a 1984 Ford and we have to, you know, turn it on. You got to get the air brakes, get away. You know, it's a good 10 minutes. It's going to come water and we weren't going to leave the scene and we were going to stay and put it out. So you have a lot of those technical issues of even where your equipment is. And if you're passing the call just to go get a piece of equipment to bring it back. And I made that decision on that. That was back in November. And that was like, no, we're going to stay and play. We're going to do it with fire extinguishers, shovels, and dirt. And we got it done. But it took it takes a community to do it. So we always depend on that as well. There's community to help. Maybe they're not on the roster, but we can get them to help us get, this, get the, the job done and get the job finished. And then I'm, um, about a couple of weeks ago, with the other pieces that also happen in a community is that when someone passes away in the community and we're part of that call and we help the coroner and we go through all those pieces, then the family calls the community, the fire department to help with the funeral, to talk to the funeral department, to get the, um, the event going, make sure the church is ready, make sure the potluck's ready at the community center. We don't stop. We just, our roles change and we still take care of community. Well, I can tell you that most people don't think of that. And the picture of you standing beside that 1984 fire truck and you know again people don't realize how blessed they are i mean you know we we've got 2022 2023 apparatus that roll in here that cost you know 1.8 million dollars and you're getting it done with shovels and dirt and fire extinguishers and you know one of the things i can tell you britta and i, I really truly do mean this is that i'm very very impressed with what y'all get accomplished what you've accomplished uh, with that organization in a very short period of time, what continues to go on in a very complex situation in the response district uh, that, that can throw you as many challenges as you possibly can think of. So again, hats off to you and your department out there and, and what's going on. And, and again, uh, your involvement in America's fire service as a whole. So thank you so much. Uh, we're we're getting at the point we can wrap up with some of our conversation here. I want you to give some some parting thoughts of of what you think and and what's going through your mind when we talk about this topic and and words of wisdom you might would like to share with our listeners. I appreciate it and thank you thank you for those kind words because you don't realize it and um, whenever we do grants and we write grants and to write to people and we have to write narratives that you're hearing a lot of those stories like we talk about. 
And uh, one year, there was a couple years ago, um, a community here uh, gives out you know, grants once you write it out, tell you need it for, it's mostly for operating costs or more training or more equipment or some, some newer equipment. Then, you know, we get a lot of hand-me-down equipment. The hand-me-down equipment works fine. It's okay. You know, maybe it's not going to be cutting edge, but it gets the job done. So we're fine with all that, especially with the community on I-70. They're so willing to, you know, hey, we got a whole bunch of hose. Do you need it? I'm like, sure, we'll take it. And I always say the joke, if I come to your fire station, you might want to check my pockets because I might have taken something and I'm going to go sell it on eBay because I need the cash. But um, when, uh, when people were handing out a check, to us, I think it was it made it in the Vale Daily. And they're like, we just haven't heard about you guys having a lot of fires. And then just like wildland fires, there were a lot in the area. And I, my response was a lot of times we put the fire out before it gets named. You know, because we're enough of a quick response. We're already out here. We already know how to put out a fire that we can put it out before it gets big enough, becomes a something that we have to name it. And so they just don't hear about, you know, the unsung calls that we go on or they don't really they might see in the paper, you know, that Rock Creek responded. But we really were the first responders, you know, to that situation right there when it, the call is, you know, super you know, big and complex. And how do we figure out how to get to it? And I just really encourage anybody just to. Think outside the box, <clears throat> look at what the resources, resources you have and just get the job done because we still have to get the job done. And we all we all you know, raised our hand and, and said we're, we're going to be a part of this and be a part of the community and serve till more resources came. We never think we're going to be the end all end all to everything, but at least we get there first, can give a size up. Let everybody know what's going on. Like you said, when you know you need more tenders because we don't have any water, we only have the first you know couple of minutes of water to put on it. That we need more resources coming in and doing tender operations and knowing where our the dry hydrants are. Or go ahead and use the Colorado River. Use a you know a creek. That we you know we work together as a team. Whatever resources come in, even from two different counties and actually three counties, we actually back up into a third county. And we go on a lot of calls, especially on the Colorado River, especially, on, you know, at the boat dock, you know, things that happen. And we just work together and all of that. So I always want to encourage everybody, as much as we have these gangs of New York fights between the different departments and who's better and who does this and who does that. Just when you get on scene to work together, because you really need everybody to make sure that that situation gets handled. And that's probably a good note for us to to end on with the complexities of resort fires and resort operations and the challenges and considerations and tactical obligations that you have to do that are associated not only to the resort, but to the ancillary components that are associated to resort areas such as travel, uh, access points, uh, the deliveries of, of things that are going in and out of there, the commodities. Uh, very, very challenging. Uh, I want to thank you, Britta, for coming on there, Chief. It's an honor and a privilege always to get with you and have the great conversations and dialogue that we do. Uh, to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's show on fire and training, and I look forward to seeing you on another edition of Fire and Training. I would be remiss if I did not say that we dedicate fire and training to the men and women who are out in the streets 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, to try to provide you with the best information, the best knowledge, the best training that we can. Our ultimate goal, everyone goes home. And being a state advocate, the lead advocate in South Carolina uh, for the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, everyone goes home. I definitely want to make sure that we're doing what we can to make sure our folks understand the complexities that are in all the types of resorts across all the districts in, in you know the world 
that we can possibly share with. Chief, thank you for being on. I look forward to the next time that we can be face-to-face and and enjoy yourselves again. Until then, I want you to stay safe, take care of those cows, and and I'll make sure that I try to get a, a ride by to see the the horses feeding the cows. So. There you go. Thank you very much, Chief. I appreciate the time. Thanks.